Hi, everybody. This is Craig from the University of Applied Research and Development and our Bachelor of Emergency and Management. It is our privilege to have Sarah Miller with us today on our video cast, who's an emergency management professional and crisis manager. Sarah, good morning from New Zealand. Good morning. Lovely to see you. Thanks so much for giving us your time. Yeah, you're welcome. It sounded like a lot of fun, so here I am. Well, look, you're a, you're a very accomplished person, and I keep looking at your your resume on LinkedIn and seeing all the different things you've done. And I know that you're doing, of all things, you're doing your doctorate right now. You've posted on social media and how to use social media for situational awareness. You're the president for the International Emergency Managers Association in Region 10. You, um, you're actually supervising a vaccination center as well part-time for everything that you do. And as you told me before we went live, you're working with FEMA rewriting some of their content right now. So do you ever sleep? I do. I do, which is why things don't always get done when they're supposed to get done. It happens. It's, it's why I'm still working on my PhD after all these years. <laughs> so what drew you into emergency management? You know, I, I actually started uh, as a volunteer uh, more than 30 years ago. Uh, and I started as a, as a wilderness search and rescue volunteer, which was part of the local sheriff's office, which also housed emergency management. And as a teen, it was something mm -hmm. to do. And, and my love of it sort of just grew from there. And eventually uh, I, I, I did public safety related things specifically for a long time. And then I ended up getting a master's degree uh, in public administration and emergency management, which landed me a job as uh the first emergency manager for the city I lived in, and I've just stuck with it ever since now. Wow. That's, um, that's interesting that you start with volunteering. I think every person who is still in emergency management after being in it for a long time, they say, I, I started in volunteering. I gave my time. And whenever I ask, you know, what's some advice you would give for people who'd like to be in your role, it's always go and volunteer. Why do you think volunteering is so important to do to start? So there, there's a couple of things. Um, in a lot of places, it's the only way to get any experience. Uh, in, in the United States, a lot of emergency management organizations are one person. And, yeah. and so the only way to get experience is to volunteer so that you can get enough experience to get that job. It's a, it's a challenge we have with not having a lot of entry-level jobs. That's, that's slowly shifting, but funds are scarce and resources are tight. And um, so I, I think that that is that's the that's a big reason that people volunteer is to gain experience, but also a lot of people volunteer, including me, to give back to the community. Um, there's there's things that we want to do. There's things that we want to see better in our communities, so we volunteer to do them um, because that's the only way they're going to get done. So it it serves a lot of hats. There's some people obviously who who volunteer for other sometimes strange reasons, um, but but you know they everybody has their own reason. But I think that for particularly for students in emergency management, getting experience and networking is one of the biggest reasons that a lot do it. Right. You seem to do a lot of networking, for example, the International Association. What drew you into doing that on a much more bigger scale, on a global scale? Well, it uh, specifically with IAM, the International Association of Emergency Managers, I joined as a student member. 
so, and they just reminded me in a social media post that that was 17 years ago. So I joined oh. as a student member because it seemed like a good way to meet people and maybe figure out how to get a job. And sure enough, I did. And 17 years later, I'm still volunteering. And 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 I think it's it's like anything else. Um, you see a problem, you want to fix it, so you volunteer to help fix it, and um, or you volunteer to fill a need or a gap. And and along the way, you end up building huge networks of people um, who uh, can assist you with things. That's that's how I ended up here. Uh, you and I connected on LinkedIn, and suddenly there was a request to do this, and here I am because it sounded interesting. And and that all came out through came about because of networking. Right. And we certainly appreciate your time and you being with us now. Why don't you describe what you do as a consultant in emergency management? Well, I fix things. That's mostly what I do. I, I fix things. Um, but but on a more detailed level, I do both cybersecurity and emergency management consulting, um, business continuity in there too. But but I my my great love is to be presented with a problem that is fixable and fix it. So I've done a lot of different things. And last year, it's been all COVID all the time. Um, but I've, I've helped with planning for alternate care facilities. Uh, I've done, uh, I, I helped an organization fix their COVID call center uh, just by using the technology they had and the people they had and just, just doing an analysis of what was going on and why it wasn't working and fixing it. Um, now I'm doing vaccination clinic stuff because um, interestingly, I'm doing the vaccination clinic uh, as a as a supervisor because of some volunteer work that I did, and they reached out to a bunch of people who had volunteered uh, to in a free large medical clinic and said, "Hey, we're going to do this large clinic for the public. You have experience doing that. How would you like to come work for us on this project?" And so that's how I ended up there. But I do um, I do a lot of training. I do a ton of training courses for FEMA and for other companies uh, that are, uh, there's just a wide range of things I, that I do. One of my one of my goals is to bridge the gap between cybersecurity and technology use and emergency management professionals, because there is a, a massive chasm there. And so a lot of what I do is help emergency managers understand technology and help technologists understand emergency management. Because there's a, the, the chasm is growing and the last year has really showed um, just how big that gap is for a lot of people. Let's let's go a bit deeper into that. See what I did there with the chasm <laughs> metaphor. But let's let's go a bit deeper into that. I'd love for you to share around that. So one of the challenges we have is that um, we are in a technology heavy world. And obviously, I mean, you and I are halfway across the world from each other having a conversation in real time uh, because we're using technology. But our, our training and education background in emergency management has not kept up with technology. And partially that's a reflection of the government. Government is always behind when it comes to technology in general use. They usually have some really cool things that no one gets to see, uh, but that doesn't help the, the average user use those or understand them. And so when we made this flip to COVID and everyone working remotely, suddenly emergency management professionals were faced with being forced to work in a technology heavy environment that they had no familiarity and no preparation for. And um, I've even looked through uh, the, 
just sort of a general scan of the technology related courses that are available in college degrees, both bachelor's and master's degrees. And there are almost no programs that offer hands-on technology courses. Um, I, I actually had the opportunity this, this term to take on an existing technology and cybersecurity course in an undergraduate program. And I discovered that it was all reading about technology it was not doing technology and now it's doing technology, not to make people technologists or network engineers, but to at least understand the conversation and the terms. Um, mm. I, I worked a cybersecurity incident for a city I support last year. And one of the reasons they called me is they don't, the IT folks and the emergency management folks don't even speak the same language. They don't, there's not even a basic fundamental understanding other than it's broken and it's really bad. Um, there wasn't an understanding beyond that and an ability to have a detailed conversation that conveyed the urgency or, well, in this case, the urgency of what was wrong. And so that's one of my goals is to change that um, because it is a critical job skill, not just for people coming into the field, but for people who are already in the field who, who more and more often they're seeing themselves involved in technology things, whether it's some sort of cybersecurity incident in their organization or just having to, to scope out and um, process or recommend technology for their own organization. There's just a, there's a huge gap there. And so I'm, I'm working on that. I actually had the opportunity to, that I'm just finishing right now, um, to propose a, an undergraduate certificate, specifically in emergency management technology, that is going to be hands-on um, to expose emergency managers to technology and technologists to emergency management. Because those two things, I mean, more and more often emergency managers find themselves having to lead some sort of response to technology issues uh, and not and and <clears throat> not understanding the basic premises. And so we're, I'm trying to fix that. That's that's the piece that I love very much. Uh, I'm actually the past chair of IAM's Emerging Technology Committee, uh, and I continue to be their board liaison because I really, those are my people, and that's what I really enjoy is that convergence of technology and usefulness in technology. Sarah, one of the things that I love about emergency management people is that they're always training because they recognize that they'll be encountering situations that they haven't encountered before. So the more that they can learn and, and from other people's experiences. So what are some of those, what are some of the topics that emergency managers may have not heard about, thought about in their particular area they're working in around technology, some keywords, terms, concepts, ideas? At a very, at a very fundamental level, um, they don't understand how the systems around them work. So if, if there's a cyber incident that involves their network, they don't understand the components of a network to even understand what is wrong or, or how that's going to impact things. Uh, at a practical level, uh, there's not a good standard usage of online tools or collaboration tools, things like uh, Office Online or Google Docs Online, those, those, those basic collaboration tools that the private sector sort of has taken for granted for a long time, where everybody just jumps in and works on the same document, that's been slow to come to government. And it, and it came uh, overnight and no one knew how to use it. And, um, and mm -hmm. that presented its own hurdles and challenges. 
as people tried to struggle through learning the technology, because uh, it got rolled out, uh, because nerds do what nerds do. And they're like, hey, here's a new tool, use it. Well, how do I use it? Just push the buttons and make it go. But but that's a foreign concept. If you're not comfortable with technology, uh, pushing the buttons and making it go is not going to work out. And, um, it, and it frustrates people. And then they want to leave their jobs because they've been given a tool, uh, told to use it, made to feel maybe stupid because they don't know how to use it. But right. no one told them how to use it. And so it right. becomes a sort of loop. Um, and we've moved to such collaborative spaces and there's so many tools that um, it can be overwhelming, especially if you're not comfortable using them. I, I, I was on a different call last night talking to a group of students and, and one of them was very afraid to even own a, a smartphone and didn't think that was a good idea. And I, I said, well, that's not going to serve you well, because if you get a job in this field, you're going to have not one, but probably two, maybe three smartphones you have to pack around with you all the time. It's just the nature of the business. So you need to be unscared and you need to, have to learn how to use these tools in, a, in the right way so that you can get a job and know how to do what you need to do. Yeah, so I picked up their understanding um, networks or the way the software is connected together. Um, online tools for collaboration, particularly. Um, I mean, schools have done a great job of picking up Google, Google Suite or Microsoft 365, right? Or smartphones as well. So we've got three things there, networks, things connecting together, collaboration online, and then smartphones. Is there, are there other topics and ideas that emergency managers should at least familiarize themselves? There are, there are, they should have a fundamental understanding of cybersecurity in general. Of, of attack vectors, the sorts of things that can happen. Um, they should be part of that planning process in their organization. Because when whenever the bad thing happens, um, emergency management is going to be thrust front and center into dealing with it. Mm. Uh, and, and then emerging technology, things like, um, un, uh, well, drones, unmanned aerial systems of various kinds, those lend themselves to a lot of emergency management technology or uses but people don't necessarily know how to use them or they don't know the rules, the requirements. Somebody went out and got some grant money, bought a drone, and now they discover they have to have a license for it. And there's all of these things that, that we just lack some sort of basic education on. Um, even social media, like we sort of take social media for granted, but we don't do a really good job of, of educating emergency managers or training them in how to use it effectively uh, for their organizations. Well, everybody's got a Facebook account. You just set it up and make it go. Well, it's different when you're an organization. You have to understand the different rules, the different ways that it works, the kind of statistics and data you get from it. Um, I would say, well, there's, there's a lot of things, but I would say sensor data. We have more and more information available to us um, in terms of sensor data, whether it be a sensor that's stationary or a sensor that's attached to a drone, um, but weather data and water data and so much data. Um, I, I, this is my, my, my personal feeling is that the emergency management needs to be driving very hard to be a data-driven profession instead mm. of a swag profession. Just just making it up as we go, when we have a ton of data at our disposal, 
we can make better choices. We can have, we can build better decision-making tools and models around that by using the data we already have access to. And, and so decision support tools are one of those things that we talk about, you know, we talk about dashboards and things, but we don't make them that are, that are specification driven. Somebody puts together a dashboard because it looks cool, but it doesn't necessarily serve the people that it was in term, uh, that it was intended for or serve up the data that's actually useful. So mm. decision support tools, I think are a huge piece of it. Um, oh, let's see. Those are the ones that are coming to mind. Those are the things I, I, I think very much data-driven things are, are where emergency management sort of is, but it hasn't caught up with itself yet because there's data all around us. You look at um, SCADA systems, like we, I can remember having to, um, literally we had, a, we had a flood gauge, we had two flood gauges that were river gauges that were showing radically different readings. And the only solution I had was to send a guy in a truck out there to look at the river and see what it was doing. And with additional sensor data, we could have saved that trip in the dark and the mud and the rain and the storm to go look at the river if we had had more modern sensor data available to us. And right. like that was a one-off, but it's a good example of wow. We and and um, and having backups for that too. Um, that's a challenge in understanding um, having an over reliance on these tools without having a solid backup. Uh, the city I worked with last year, they when they lost their entire, they lost everything. Their entire systems went down. Um, they could no longer monitor their reservoir levels. They literally had to send someone out to look and see how much water was in the reservoir because they had no other way to do it because there was no backup for that system that wasn't connected to everything else. So in the planning, um, understanding what these systems do and how they work so that you can plan for what to do when they go down, either by having backups, technology driven or guy in a truck driven to go out and look. Um, but you have to understand those and you have to have a plan for that instead of, right. oh man, we don't know what the answer to this is. Uh, let's put a guy in a truck and go find out instead of knowing in advance that that's what you're gonna have to do. Hmm. So I think like there's so many things that we do. Um, there's so much that's happening with modeling, with artificial intelligence and machine learning around hazards. And um, uh, we were using some for uh, debris modeling or, or product distribution modeling, uh, earthquake. I live in earthquake country, I'm near Seattle. So we, we different kind of earthquake country than you're in, but, but still earthquakes. Uh, and so using uh, AI to sort of model, do modern models of those earthquake impacts and the, the effects they have on transportation and housing and, and all of the things associated with it. Like that, that's the thing that we're on the leading edge of right now where we can make far better decisions going forward about planning and resources if we are modeling the data well. Mm. Sorry, that was a long time without a breath. <laughs> <laughs> well, look, I'm making notes as you're talking. I've got a ton of notes <laughs> on the page just from that particular topic. Outside of those things that you've mentioned, like you know, smartphones, social media, sensor data, um, collaboration AI, I really like that you said backup systems because it's not just about the data, it's actually backing up the, the processes as well and the software that makes those decisions or gives you the data and the dashboards. Apart from that, where do you see that there's a gap apart from those 
Where do you think that there's a gap where research could really focus on? So bringing that academic industry partnership together to help fill a gap and find solutions. So I think one of the things that research could probably, uh, well, I see research solutions to just about everything. So it's some sort of an unfair question because for me, research is about gathering data. And, and I'm a data nerd. So, but when you, when you, tr I think one of the things that's really useful uh, is understanding, like, we don't even know for sure what the gaps are. We don't know really with any certainty what the level of knowledge and experience and abilities is of people in the emergency management world right now versus what they should know. Uh, IAM just launched a, a survey <clears throat> tool actually to, to evaluate basically the next generation of core competencies for emergency managers to try and get a baseline. So that's that's an active project right now that IAM is doing. Uh, I think it closes later this week, but to try and make sure that we're really capturing what it is people need to know how to do uh, and then figure out how to provide that. Um, I think too that, that research could tell us uh, better about our own processes. Because uh, I think that sometimes we have a process on paper, but then when we actually do the job, we don't use that process and we may not even be aware of it. So when you're trying to scope out solutions for your process, um, it, you may be scoping an entirely wrong project based on your written process, which doesn't resemble your actual uh, process. So when you, if you talk about, I, I always think of putting putting a researcher to follow uh, along in a specific process to understand how it works um, by observation, as opposed to being told how it's supposed to work, if that makes sense. I think the mm -hmm. observational data of how we actually use a process versus how we say we use a process is can be very useful. And then it doesn't happen very often. Um, we, we lack access. We lack the partnerships to say, Hey, we have an activation. We'd like to partner in advance with a researcher to come in and watch what we're doing and document what we're actually doing versus what we say we're doing. Cause that leads then to poorly scoped projects. Um, my pet peeve is buying organizations that buy the latest shiny flashy product without actually knowing what their process is. I, I, I get asked a lot, well, what's the best program you can buy to do X? And, and my answer is always, well, what's the one, what, how, how have you specced out what you're doing? Because the best determines, is determined by what you already do and how well the product fits your needs. And if you don't know what your needs are, every product is both the best and the worst because you don't know. And you're going to end up having to redo your process to match the program if you don't spec it the way you want it to be. And there's right. that basic fundamental knowledge that's missing for emergency managers and how that needs assessment works and how that can be then developed into technology products or projects. Sarah, why don't you tell us a bit about your doctorate research that you're doing right now for your PhD? Yeah, so so I am working on um, my my dissertation. My working topic is um, the the readiness of local emergency managers to implement and utilize technology solutions. 
And it's, it's long been a, a subject that I like, but then I've watched in the last year as people have struggled with the technology that they are presented with, <clears throat> uh, which in my head says they weren't ready for it. Why weren't they ready? What they should be, they, what should they be ready for? And how do we get them ready? Because this is not, this is, technology is here. It's going to be here. It's going to continue to change. Government's always going to be behind. And yet we're so far behind in some of it that, that some people will not catch up by the time they retire. And, right. and that's a problem because now we have a gap. We have this huge digital equity gap within emergency management where we very much have haves and have nots in their access to technology or their ability to use it if they do have access to it. And it, it creates a very unlevel playing field, which ultimately mm. harms the people that we're trying to yes. serve. Because yeah. those things then get reflected into our communities as well. Yes. Um, and you can see that uh, in a lot of places where COVID vaccines, the only way to sign up was on a website. If you didn't have access to a website, if you didn't have access to the internet, you couldn't sign up. And so pop-up groups, people people volunteering saw that need and said, oh, well, we're going to set up this thing with our volunteer group and you can call us and we will search for an appointment for you um, and out of the goodness of their heart. But then people are also being asked to give their personal details and information to essentially strangers who are going to mm -hmm. enter that into an appointment calendar for them on somebody else's system. And, and so there's a huge gap. And that's just that's just one very current example that we're watching around us. But it happens before, during, and after every disaster event. And and the digital right. gap is getting digital equity is is becoming more and more of a big deal with every passing disaster. Yeah, I think um, not not to touch on a political point at the moment, but something like getting an ID is something which is ongoing. It's manual. It's always been around. You can get an ID. But this digital divide is becoming so much deeper, so much wider, because people's financial ability, their educational ability, their accessibility, the coverage in their neighborhoods to be able to pick up a tablet that they may not even own to connect via a, a live data from their SIM card, which they may not actually own, mm -hmm. to be able to enter their data and or search for a vaccination center or to search for you know, somewhere to get food because the water's off, the power's off, there's been an earthquake and so they can't sleep in their house, it's just not safe. But they don't even know that they're not able to get the communication the emergency um, mm -hmm. signals from their local authorities. So that gap is certainly something where there is an equity differential in certain communities. I think that the the outcome also is that the the ability for certain communities to respond to get back to not to where they were because they won't, but to actually get back to normal life. That that time lag is so much bigger. So you have an increased ability for some communities to become more wealthy, more prepared, back to normal life, whereas others are still so far behind. Yeah, and we have, I, I live in Washington State as I am Region 10. I serve Oregon, Washington, Idaho, and Alaska. Some of the most rural places in our entire country are there. There are places where there are no roads. There are places where that are cut off. Um, there's an island in my own county here that's only accessible by a boat or air small small planes, small helicopters. And and there isn't data access in many of these places. And right. so it, it's not even a matter of, of whether you can afford it. It's just not available to you. 
And right. that became a huge issue uh, when we all went to remote things for COVID. People could no longer go to the doctor because they didn't have internet access. They couldn't go to school because they didn't have internet access or it was so slow that it was unuseful, uh, unusable for them. And so the digital, this digital divide exists in emergency management, but also within our communities and it, and it continues to grow. And I think that we are in a unique position to recognize it, fix ourselves so that we understand it so that we can better serve our communities um, before, during and after a disaster, because ultimately that's what we're supposed to be doing. And if we don't recognize the problem now, um, we're only going to make it worse when, when something happens by relying over or under relying on certain things and not filling those gaps. I really look forward to reading your dissertation when it's Me done. <laughs> <laughs> look, Sarah, um, just in the last couple of minutes before we wrap up, what's something you've mentioned volunteering as something that, uh, which is, you know, how you started in the industry. Apart from that, what's something that someone could do who's interested in emergency management and would love to follow in your footsteps? What's something that they could do in the next year or so to prepare themselves? I think that, I think that going beyond whatever you're being taught, like being a self-starting learner, and going beyond the basics of what you're being told to learn. I think that that is the hallmark of a, of a long-term emergency manager is that desire to continuously learn, not just about emergency management, but about the things that go on around us, learning more about science and the way that, that's, that the scientific world um, or natural sciences impact us and having a better understanding, learning project management, um, all of those things that we can do to make our lives easier. Um, we, we, we tend in this field very much to be uh, a jack of all trades and a master of none. So we learn a lot of, a lot of topics, um, maybe not very in depth, but, but we at least have a working knowledge of them. And I think that's the hallmark of, of someone who gets in this field and stays in this field is someone who's driven to learn and driven to, to, to read, to experience what all of these things mean um, and staying on top of whatever's current. I think that's the only way you can keep up. And uh, I think that goes for someone who's trying to break into the field too. Learning more, learning more than you are required to learn is going to be the thing that serves you well always. Brilliant. Sarah, really want to thank you for your time and for your expertise and sharing with our audience. Wishing you all the very best and stay safe. Yeah, you too. Thanks for having me. No problem. And what's the best way for people to get hold of you after this interview? So the very best way is probably to find me on LinkedIn. So linkedin.com slash in slash SK Miller. It's very easy to find. Plus, the picture looks just like me. <laughs> Thank you, Sarah. You have a great day. You too. Thanks.